Priya. Thank you so much for joining me on the Females in Motorsport podcast. How are you doing today? Hello. Thank you so much for having me. I'm doing very well. Very much looking forward to our conversation. Yeah, and I know you're kind of sweating it out right now. <laughs> so I hope I hope that situation sorts itself out very soon. Thank you. Yes, for some context for anybody who's listening, our air conditioning um, has chosen today of all days to stop functioning, um, which just because of where I live with the climate, it is very, very warm in here. So that's not a perfect dewy foundation. That's sweat. <laughs> I think we, we should go with the with the former. It is perfect Thank you. dewy foundation. <laughs> I want to first get into a little bit of your background. I would love to just hear from you a little bit more about how you got into the podcasting space in motorsport to begin with. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, motorsport as a whole is not something that I grew up with particularly. I've always loved sport. I've always played sport. I'll watch anything. Um, But motorsport was never on my radar particularly. Um, and it wasn't until I am from Tasmania, right down the bottom of Australia, the little bit that always gets left off the map. Um, it wasn't until I moved up to Melbourne for university and the uni that I went to um, is actually not far from the Albert Park track, it's probably you know, 10Ks away maybe. Um, and I was standing in the middle of university. I could hear this noise that had been like a mosquito in my ear for like three days. And of course, this is pre-hybrid era, so you could still hear them that far away. And um, I was saying to people around me, I was like, what is that noise? Also, there's no parking around and what's going on? And everyone said, oh, you know, it's for, it's Formula One. And I was like, what is that? And of course, went and squirreled away with Mr. Google and, you know, promptly found myself pretty fascinated by it um, and I was a psychology student at the time so that side of things in terms of driver mentality and this mm. traveling around the world and um, that type of thing I was quite intrigued by as well so very much started from there a pretty late entrant um, to the motorsport world by comparison to lots of wonderful stories that we hear of people who have grown up watching you know, motorsport with their their parents perhaps or being trackside not not my experience but still mine has been a really fun journey in terms of the podcasting side of things um yeah again a bit of a different story I actually used to listen to Lakeside Drive which is the podcast that I now host um and one of their hosts reached out to me as you know, one of their female listeners, basically, who was quite engaged in their community as well um, and said, you know, what do you think we're doing well? What do you think we could improve on? And um, not knowing that I am a business psychologist by trade, <laughs> I basically sent them a full report when it comes to, um, you know, what my experience was. And one of the things that we spoke about was um, I said, you know, you've, you've built this really fantastic community and I think that's something you could really leverage. Um, so whether that's getting your listeners on the podcast occasionally or running competitions or things like that, really helping to draw them in to be feel like they're, they're part of that um, really active community. And I said, oh, great, what are you doing on Sunday? <laughs> and so I joined them for an episode, which was certainly not the, the game that I was trying to play. Mm-hmm. Um, and I joined them for an episode that was the uh, Coda preview in must have been 2021, I think. And, um, yeah, you know, that went 
well. I got along with guys really well and we did another episode and it kind of went from there. And then next thing you know, it was, you know, should we, should we do this full time and, and become one of, our, one of our hosts? And, you know, I jumped at that because I was having so much fun with it. It was allowing me to explore a totally different part of the sport um, in terms of having those debriefs and we were all we all watch it with a slightly different lens which I found fascinating mm. and we get to talk about that in a bit more structured way um, and I just I loved it so yeah it kind of it kind of went from from there and um, it's been again just it's added even more value to my experience as a motorsport fan as well so it's been a really fun time. That is a really nice story actually because I really I've been a late entry to the sport myself so I really love meeting anyone who started watching the sport you know when you're already an adult versus yes. when you're a child because you do perceive things so differently it also is I feel a steeper learning curve because you mm. have to learn all these things much more quickly it is a sport that you know is a little bit more technical to understand you know if you're just transported into a race circuit while the race is going on you have no clue what's going on yeah, um, like you know versus if you put on you know you turn on the tv screen and you're watching like a game of basketball you know what the game yes. you know the goal is you know what's going on like you know a little bit more so yeah. I really love to connect with people for that reason because I do think we all bring other sides of our brain into formula one and into motorsports so how you brought in 100%. your psychology side of your brain into the sport and then it just became like you know you started hosting your own podcast <laughs> and now i know you're also doing the podcast with extreme e yes. how has that been going yeah oh that's fantastic fun so after um i joined lakeside drive and we've been doing that for a while um my co-host james baldwin who also hosts the extreme e podcast um he he and I spoke about that because I was starting to get involved you know watching uh, Extreme A a bit and I said well it doesn't make a lot of sense to me that you don't have a female uh co-host on your podcast mm. given the pillars of this sport um and so next thing you know I was doing that one as well <laughs> and I think what's important is that you know all of this is coming from having a certain level of experience already with kind of engaging with different um different groups and Talk, being able to talk kind of at, at length about um, things that you might be thinking deeply about. And that just fitted really well for me when it comes to, I suppose, those transferable skills that we've talked about um, in things that I was practicing in organizational psychology, actually translating really well to podcast hosting um, and, and discussions in that way. So I then joined them over on the Extreme E podcast. So that's with James Baldwin and Michael Laminato. Michael, obviously, being a really experienced journalist and somebody else who I was just like, you know, trying to learn so much from as much as I can. And every single time we record, I learn something else about the way he might have responded to a question or how he discusses certain topics. So that's something that's been really great as well. So having kind of, and they're very different, um, very different podcasts, very different listeners. Mm-hmm. You know, one is an official podcast for the series. So you've got that to take into consideration. Obviously, we're still encouraged to have opinions and discuss topics really deeply. But the other one is far more kind of garage talk, I suppose, when it comes to <laughs> mates just having a discussion about it, this sport that we that we all love and have in common. But even that is great when it comes to diversifying how you might discuss you know, ultimately very similar um, uh, sporting situations. So that's been great to kind of diversify those skills too. I also love that there's a clear thread between 
how you identified a gap or like you know something that was missing in a different podcast and you brought that to the producers or the hosts and that kind of helped bridge the connection of why you should be you know part of that journey with them of the podcast because i do think that as someone who's a listener of a podcast you obviously know what you like you can also see what you don't like what you think can be improved and most podcast listeners who listen to one podcast listen to multiple podcasts yeah, yeah. so i actually feel like a podcast listener is a, is a job on its own it's an expertise on its own because you are probably listening to multiple shows and that way you know exactly what one person is doing well versus what the other person is not that's very true. No, I think I think you make a really good point. And that's why I think it's one of the reasons, and we talk about this in business and you can talk about it in sport or podcasting or whatever it might be, you know, teams need to engage with their fans. Businesses mm-hmm. need to engage with their customers. Podcast hosts need to engage with their listeners. And that is how you will learn about what you're doing well, what you can improve on, what you need to perhaps change up um, or introduce. So, you know, it's it's all very similar in that way. And like you said, I think, your listeners and and that community are your greatest source of of mm. information when it comes to how you might adapt or or change or or improve the content that you're producing. Absolutely, I couldn't agree more. Especially as a podcast host, it's myself. It's it, it, I feel like it, the more um, episodes I do, the more people I interview, and now I'm starting to do some solo episodes. I'm starting to learn the value of how to engage more and more with listeners and just taking into account of what, how you can tweak the finished product, yes. how you can make it better, how you can improve it. And it is a constant learning journey. And I think that's kind of what I love about it specifically because it's not something that, you know, you, it's something it's, it's malleable. It is. You can, yep. you can constantly make changes in every episode. So I, I personally love that part of it as well. Yeah. And what's so fun yeah. about it is that when it is, you know, your own product, um, so for with us, with, with Lakeside Drive in particular, but again, also with Extreme A, we've got essentially total agency with with that podcast as well, is that you can make those changes immediately. You know, if you get mm-hmm. some feedback that you go, great, that's a, that's an excellent point, we'll do it next week, you know, um, and we, we might try it, for, trial it for a couple of episodes and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't, but mm-hmm. it's fine. You've got to try new things and but you, you do have that freedom to implement things very yeah. quickly if you if you choose to. And that's something that I, I really enjoy about it is kind of having that level of just flexibility. And, you know, we're all um, between you know, Campy, James and myself, you know, we're all very um, just eager to hear anyone's thoughts and ideas and, you know, we'll give it a crack and sometimes it'll stay, it'll stick around and, and, and then sometimes it won't, um, you know, suit as well as we might have hoped and, and that's all right too. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it is easy to adapt, like you said. So I want to touch on Extreme E because I know you have um, obviously the knowledge and expertise that you have been sharing on the podcast. But this is a question that we get asked a lot just specifically about the gender split in Extreme E. Extreme E is one of those unique sports that have a gender split in motorsport. And we still get a lot of questions about whether that makes the most sense or not. So I want your take on it. Do you think the gender split in Extreme E makes sense? For Extreme E, it does. And first of all, I think it's great. I think it's so great. They just went and did it rather than question, oh, how do we make this work or how will it be received or what about the height difference between our male drivers and our female drivers? Mm. Um, They just went one lap each or two laps each, but one male, one female, equal laps, off you go. 
and they just came up with solutions with those challenges as they came along. Like I said, you know, you've got two drivers in particular. I'm thinking about the RXR combination where um, Christopherson is he's a giant man and his co-driver is not. So, you know, they go, great, we'll get a seat insert, done, next problem. What mm-hmm. are we going to do about it? And so it's real evidence of when you just start and and face the challenges or the, you know, these little hurdles or roadblocks as, as you go along because they will be there. That's okay. But the difference is that Extreme E is built around its values, one of which mm. is gender equality. It's literally how the sport was designed right from the start. And it's one of the reasons why we're not seeing such drastic inclusivity from a gender perspective in other series because they are trying Mm. to change a sport which in some instances has been around since you know the 50s and Mm. it was designed right from the start around male drivers male engineers male everything all right so we've got one series that was designed specifically with this pillar at its forefront along with obviously um you know climate and, and other um, important values as well. But they're kind of the two main main structural pillars, if you want to call them those. Mm-hmm. And so it's designed around that. So you've started at that point, whereas all of the other series, literally all of them, we're trying to change something that has been going on for decades and was not mm-hmm. designed with with women in mind or or any other identifying gender, right? It is literally men only the challenge is that this is such this is an issue that has so many layers from the systemic level of you know sexist beliefs about women Mm -hmm. to business levels of things like investment Mm -hmm. and funding to the operational component of you know their race suits and karting championships and equipment right down to the grassroots level of karting opportunities and representation for girls so I really do empathize with the series and people who are involved in trying to make progress with that immense question of where do we start you know and if we do something that doesn't fix the problem I think there's a lot of fear of criticism that people call it things like tokenistic um oh that's never going to work out they kind of shut it down before it started but there's a fear of not doing anything but you know in my in my view that's just not an excuse for not doing anything Mm -hmm. because no matter what you do there will be criticism if you do nothing there will also be criticism so you might as well give it a crack and start making change and the other thing is that if you spend too long trying to unpick it all, you tie yourself in knots trying to come up with the perfect solution to ridding motorsport of gender stereotypes. <laughs> you know, you could, you could, it's, it's, this is a massive dilemma that we are trying to move forward in. And I think because I'm a psychologist who works in a business setting, I'm somewhat inclined to look at this very similarly to a business that is trying to you know, change its culture, for example. And we would come in and say, you know, look, no, the fruit bowl is not going to change your organisational culture. That's not going to cut it. Mm. But it is okay to address some of that low-hanging fruit while you also tackle some of those big hitting 
really complex, difficult to shift, <laughs> you know, practical and cultural hurdles. You know, but at the end of the day, you can't wait for the perfect environment in order to start making a change because we will literally be here forever and you also can't wait for it to happen organically because that change mm. will be so incrementally slow that we'll stay at this point for for far too long so there's many issues to address at many many levels but you've got to start somewhere and I think what I love about Extreme yeah. E is that they just put it at the outset this is what we're doing they went with it and you know I've, I've got a lot of admiration for that I agree. I I definitely think that when a series has been going on for a while, there is not only this inertia that sets in that you feel like, yes, it's an issue, but there's more pressing issues right now. Like, oh, we have a new racetrack or we have something else coming up. Like, it's something that always gets pushed to the back because you're trying to change something rather than introduce something. Yeah. But I will say that I really do um, resonate with what you said, just start somewhere. Mm. And that's why even though, you know, let's say like W Series, for example, yep. yes, unfortunately, it failed financially, but I will die on the hill that F1 Academy would not exist if W Series did not, did yep. not um, you know, start the, the, the series itself. Because I think it really started the conversation and brought it to the mainstream about why the hell are we not developing women more intentionally to drive an F1. Mm-hmm. 100%. And yes, W Series had its own challenges, which also I can go on and on about. Yeah. But I do think that, it, you know, I like to always say that W Series ran so F1 Academy could walk, you know, because I really do feel oh, that there's F1 Academy has picked up things from W Series that I think they did do well, but made changes with themselves that they've been like, okay, that didn't work. So, for example, like financially, I think they've got the finances covered for themselves, mm-hmm. which is really important and smart because for example w series had you know they had a free drive for all the women which is fantastic but i think eventually it and probably ended up being something that may have expedited the financial struggle with f1 academy it's not free it's subsidized so i feel like it's a happy medium which is great so yeah i think just starting somewhere for all the series would be really great just because you know i think people are open to seeing change happen especially in this area well maybe some people are not open to it mm. but we don't talk about those people <laughs> but i think most people are hopefully happy to see some change happen in this area so yeah. you know it's just a matter of you know let's just get it going it's I completely agree with you on on the F1 Academy and W Series kind of interaction. And the other thing is, like, I I was at um, IndyCar in Nashville earlier in the year and interviewed Jamie Chadwick, Mm. and she made a very similar comment, but she also said, she's like, I was at this point where, you know, I haven't come from racing royalty. I don't have people already looking at me to see if you might be somebody who is our next protege. Um, I just loved this sport and seemed to be okay at it. But I didn't have really anywhere, I was doing everything I could, but I didn't Mm. really have anywhere to race on the type of stage that I wanted and that I knew that I needed in order to really give my career the momentum that it needed to try and make some incredible achievements. And W Series gave her that. And now she's in Indy Next and has been confirmed Mm -hmm. next season as well. And that's massive. So, you know, it's not just the, um, the F1 Academy um, W Series um, kind of, you know connection it's the fact that it gave those drivers a world stage mm-hmm. and they also have all of these now 
you know, other opportunities and people aware of, of who they are. And so that's, again, it's so easy to be highly critical of W Series. And as you said, it was, you know, it's flawed. Everyone is, so am I, <laughs> you know. Yes, but yes, yes. this, it it started it. It really was the start of this movement, I think, in a really actionable practical way because I think there was a lot of conversation but there wasn't a huge amount of okay let's go and do something what is what is that first step going to be that is going to give women a place to race and and that provided that so you know it'll it'll be a an interesting um I suppose legacy in terms of how you want to think about it but Mm -hmm. um but I think you know, we might say that, like you said, it's, it's important to say that that failure was was financially only, um, because yeah. it was it was not a failure of the series. Yes, absolutely, and I think that in itself just makes you just like increases the respect for something like extreme e even more because I feel like the fact that it started out with having a gender split and giving women and men equal, you know, equitable resources. Mm-hmm. I hate the word. I mean, I like the word equal, but something like this i like to use the word equitable because you know there are so many other changes and so many other things that impact a woman's career versus a man's career and it's important to have different resources not always equal but i think extreme e is doing that really well also something that i really like about extreme e is that you know based on the values around sustainability the series takes place in the most obscure places in the world, trying to build more um, awareness around certain environmental concerns. Now, not I don't want to say drawback. It's a drawback for me as a fan because yeah. I'm not able to see the races. Yeah. But I do always, it's on my bucket list. It's literally on the top of my bucket list that I really want to do an extreme e-race. But I think about it sometimes that what is like the entertainment value of extreme e versus something like a formula one yeah yeah it's 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 interesting on that front and look like i said it's a flawed series as well it's got its its challenges you know we had to change locations one of the weekends this year because the saint helena wasn't able to function to get the cars to where they needed Mm -hmm. to so as long as you have these limitations on your sport that are also going to serve the environment well you're going to have find yourself in the pickle occasionally and i think that's kind of going to be part and part part and parcel with with this sport or with this series and and you know it's still got its contradictions right you know we're still racing in Saudi Arabia which we know comes with a massive again (laughs) complex and layered issues but you know so again it's it's not perfect um and I don't think anyone would would necessarily claim that it is but I kind of at least I said you know again (laughs) if you can't win every battle um Let's look at the ones that we can make significant progress on. And I think in terms of the value, look, honestly, the more I watch Formula One, the more I think Extreme E offers when it comes to entertainment value as a sport. But that's partially because F1 has so much to offer in entertainment value as a business so much that it's starting to tip the scales in terms of priority, which we can talk about later but from a sporting perspective I think Extreme E has you know it's got an additional level of jeopardy um (laughs) which 
we, you know, we will use every second sentence when it comes to this sport because it is one of its defining features as far as the racing, I, I think. But that's partially due, obviously, to the, you know, to the terrains they are racing in. But you've got that really varied depth and um, breadth of the experience of their drivers. So, you know, you've got world champions from Rallycross, um, WRC, like all sorts of things. But then you've also got them lining up next to rookie drivers as part of the same team, no less. So, you know, that's obviously going to create a huge amount of variability in it. Um, But also being a sport that has a common package of standardised parts. So we're not going to end up in a situation where it's just not going to happen where you've got one team that wins for seven years in a row, should have been eight, but it's just not going to happen because one team has, you know, nailed the design under the current regulations. So we do go into every race. And sure, again, because of the experience of those drivers, there are some who have mastered driving the Mm. Odyssey in a way that others are still working on. That's fine. Um, But that just to me, you know, you go into every race not knowing who is going to win. Like I said, there's a huge amount of jeopardy with with terrains and it's far from perfect. Um, So is every other sport. But I don't think perfection is a reasonable expectation, let alone for a sport that is so early in its career as a series. But I think the other thing that is very different is, as you've mentioned, there's no spectators in Mm. extreming, which is obviously to reduce carbon footprint Mm. if you suddenly had all of these people flying into you know, Chile or wherever it might be and then getting on a bus and then this and the other, we're kind of starting to work backwards in terms (laughs) of our sustainability goals. Um, But it does mean that they have a really unique opportunity to think of their viewers through that broadcast lens alone. So they're not trying to balance the the on-the-ground fan experience with the broadcasting priorities when it comes to viewability um, or viewer experience and that is something that I think that they need to leverage more in the future I think especially from a business perspective that there's no reason why that can't be really attractive Um, saying you know we are going to reach every single one of our spectators online which gives you so much freedom when it comes to how you use your sponsors um Mm. And material really, really creatively, um, because we again, you don't have to worry about the fan experience on the ground. So I think that's something I would like to see them leverage more to make it a more attractive business venture, because it's not going to affect the sport, you know. And mm. I think that that's something that is is really unique amongst yeah. many other things about about yeah. Extreme. So from a sporting perspective, I think they're they're winning. But from a business perspective, there's there's more that they could be doing. Yeah. I think you brought up a really good point actually about on-track experiences because F1 is a sport that on-track is actually very difficult to access. It's whether it's the ticket prices, even if you spend all the money and reach there, there's always going to be, you know, different things, especially if you're, let's say, in in a GA pass or something like that. And I've talked about this before that to me, at least, the viewing experience, it does not come close to what you're seeing with, like, a broadcast experience or yeah. even with, like, a grandstand ticket yeah. um, if you're in a GA pass. And I think it, it goes because, you know, the tracks are pretty lengthy and it's, like, it is logistical challenges and all of that. And I know the tracks are obviously doing their best to enhance the, the on-track experience. But because Extreme doesn't have to deal with that, they have this unique opportunity to capitalize on broadcast in a way that others might not. So I do think that that's um, 
that's an area that extremely has to be able to you know make its like make its own niche almost sure and uh, you think about the super bowl for example mm-hmm. i i was thinking about that a little bit just in terms of its advertising and that type uh-huh. of thing because nobody does it better and obviously businesses are paying top dollar for those spots but again those advertisements they are purely for the broadcasting audience so i was like you know, that's the type of thing where I think you can start making Extreme much more um, interesting uh, from a an investment perspective. When you go, you know, give me your most creative. It will, it, and it will. I know that it will access. It'll reach every single person who is watching this sport. Not many sports can do that. It's so funny that you mentioned the Super Bowl because I was just getting to that. I was just going to say that a few days ago, I was, uh, well, I didn't, obviously I'm recording this right now, so I didn't go to the Vegas Grand Prix. Yep. And um, I was talking to someone about it on a different podcast where I was saying, you know, how Vegas is just like, it's so, so expensive. Yes, the ticket prices are falling. But the reason that I personally did not go is that, I decided if I'm not going to be able to go, you know, with with a brand partner or something like that, I'm not going to spend a dollar of my own money to go to this race because I don't know if I, I don't have the confidence that I'll have a great time. Personally, Mm -hmm. I don't think it's the best use of my own personal money. And I started looking at the Super Bowl because I saw someone had quoted somewhere that Vegas Grand Prix is going to be at the Super Bowl. And I was like, you know, Super Bowl is like a once in a year, like lifetime, once in a year thing. It's a once in a lifetime thing. F1, you know, I don't know if it's comparable. And Super Bowl tickets are actually like seven, $8,000. I have yeah. no idea. I have no <laughs> idea. I fully did not think it would be. I thought it would be like, I don't know. Actually, I don't know what I thought it would be. I really did not, <laughs> not think that. it would be that. Just not that because that to me is obscene. Yeah. But it really did make me think about the Vegas Grand Prix in like a way like, okay, yes, they're charging a lot of money. But it's not really anywhere close to Super Bowl stature just yet because football is not where, I mean, F1 is not where football is in in America. So it really made me start thinking about the entertainment value in F1. And I know you mentioned this as well, that how the scales are tipping a little bit more into the business side versus the sporting side now. And I think it's like, I feel like so many fans are asking for a better on-track experience cheaper f1 tickets and f1 took that feedback and ran the other way you know that's what it's giving me right now uh so just yes i have so many thoughts and i'm almost struggling they're just they're kind of all over the place i'm struggling to put them into a nice coherent order partially because we are recording this on the 17th of november and so we have just been watching the absolute debacle that was free practice one and two at the Las Vegas Grand Prix. Now, I know the easy thing to do right now is just to stacks on, mm-hmm. you know, Las Vegas. That's that's the, the easy thing right now. So I try and keep it objective mm-hmm. when it comes to my, my thoughts about this. <laughs> but imagine if you had spent, you were one of the early ticket supporters right. and you said, I'm going to spend thousands of dollars and have mm-hmm. the most amazing weekend watching Formula One and FP1 got cancelled after nine minutes due to a track issue that arguably should have been sorted before now. Has happened before, but let's just leave it at that. Mm. Um, 
And then free practice too didn't start until 2.30 in the morning, at which point you're actually not allowed to be here So because we don't have enough staff mm. to keep you safe. So you're going to have to go home. So now we're down to FP3 qualifying and, and the race. There is every chance that FP3 throws something up because of the timing of, of all of these sessions that, again, is going to affect the, the fan experience. I just, all of this comes together, my point being, if I had spent thousands of dollars on a ticket mm-hmm. at this point in time, and I'm trying to wait for the, how see how the rest of the weekend unfolds. Of course. Um, rather than judging it on, you know, just one and a half sessions really. Um, but at this stage in time, I would be pretty disappointed. But... Back to your point, back to your original point, I think, again, and just Vegas to one side for a minute, I think over the last five years-ish, we have seen a gradual increase in all aspects of the sport Mm -hmm. to try and create a better sporting spectacle. And this goes to on-track decisions through to location, through to the surrounding fanfare and the glitz and glamour, if you, if you will. And when I say on-track decisions, I'm talking about things like late red flags. We're seeing a lot more standing restarts rather than um, rolling restarts. Mm. You know, there I would find it very hard to argue that there has not been manipulation in application of the rules to mm-hmm. improve the drama on track um, and it gives you this sense of, you know, okay, we've got a DRS train, this is going to get really boring, and so they're trying to increase engagement to this, you know, potentially like fight to the death, potential scenario that might arise in the last five laps, for example. And I think it's easy to say that we don't like that because it doesn't feel genuine, but at the same time, the numbers don't necessarily suggest mm-hmm. that. We do see much more engagement throughout the race with most fans and I don't just mean new fans you know the um, DTS fans all fans because everybody is there to watch the sport and so when the sport is more exciting they stay around and they are more engaged with that sport so that's it's not just the Vegas thing it's the the entire spectacle from the racing to the race weekend experience and then like I said the glitz and glamour now when it comes to Vegas, um, like you said, it, in my experience, and every fan is different. We do tend to categorise fans into, you know, fanatics, long-term fans, DTS fans, female fans, male fans. No female fan is the same. We all are watching this for different reasons. We've got fans who support specific drivers, fans who support teams, um, fans who are more about who's driving for their country, you know, Everybody has a different motivation um, and kind of passion about about this sport. So I don't like to categorise it too much in that way. Um, but to generalise just for, for a minute, I think that the fan base who are watching for spectacle alone mm-hmm. is a small one. Yeah. And that's kind of how I would put all of those people together from the driver supporters, the team supporters, the countrymen, the um you know, the new fans, the more established fans, I just think that the group across all of those categories who are there for the glitz and the glamour and the, the spectacle, I personally, I think, and I don't have any numbers to support mm-hmm. this, it's just my opinion, mm-hmm. um, I think that is small. I think yeah. that the thing that unites all of those people, despite why, like, you know, no matter why they're there, 
is great racing. And when I look at Las Vegas, everything about it, I just go, what has this got to do with great racing? Mm. We've had people come out and say, we didn't actually think about the track temperatures when we decided on what time of day we would race. It's like, you're in the middle of the desert, in the middle of the night, uh, in November, <laughs> what did you think was going to happen? You know, how did that not cross your mind? So, you know, when you've got people making statements like that, and I know this sounds very grinchy of me, but it's actually not grinchy. It's more about the passion for sport. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's why I think when we when we do see interesting on-track decisions, that, that's an interesting conversation to have. Um, but the further we get from this being about, you know, this thing which unites us with it, which is great sport, incredible innovation and technology, um, incredible competitiveness and people who are at the top of their game, mm-hmm. everything about Vegas, I, I'm struggling to find what it is about Vegas that that falls into that that category. And so my perspective is that they have tipped too far mm-hmm. in that business kind of focused direction. Yeah. That's not to say that people who haven't worked extremely hard mm-hmm. to put this event on. Like you saw the the opening ceremony. You've got, I mean, as an Australian, I loved it because we had more Australians there when we do on the track <laughs> half the time between Kylie and Keith. It was phenomenal. But and I and it's not to try and take away from the incredible like, the work that has gone in is insane. And I I really again I respect that. But you know, could we be applying those same brains and efforts to look at how we might improve existing tracks designed for racing um in you know Germany for example where we don't mm-hmm. have a race which is wild to me um to to put something there I just the priorities for me currently feel out of whack <laughs> and um I just think it's not there's not enough about the sport that that's my experience it's an incredible spectacle. It really is. But I'm not here to see a spectacle. I'm here to see great racing. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I do think that I think F1 overestimated the number of people or the amount of interest they would get from having mm. a race in Vegas. I think there was an overestimation there. And there's, and I know this is going to ruffle some feathers, but, you know, do we need a third race in the US? <laughs> yeah, we, we have two there. Yeah. Um. Can we go and look at Hockenheim and see how we might be able to put a race on? There's, I just think there's a lot of other places when you've already got two on your continent, can we can we look somewhere else? Um, and, and also I kind of feel like, you know, you've got Miami, for example, which I think, I think this year was much, much better than last year. So hopefully that means that Vegas next year will be better than this year. I'm sure it will be. And that that is someone like I went to went to Miami last year and this year, and I was like, make that your Super Bowl of Formula mm. One in in the US. Like you've got two events here. Why don't you make those awesome rather than dilute your your pool, so to speak, and make this one just. And it, I do think it also kind of changes how people feel about those mm-hmm. other races. You know, about Miami, um, you start getting more negative chatter about that. I'm like, well. I don't think the yeah. effects have been as positively as positive as they thought they were going to be. Um, and I also think, to your point, you know, the interest in this race and actually being there is is very different. And this look at the end of the day, though, this is a weekend that was not marketed to the everyday fan. It's not when you're selling packages for five, six million dollars plus. I'm not your audience, and neither are ninety nine point nine five of the other people who watch Formula One. And again, I just 
it comes back to that question of what has this got to do with the sport? And I think very little. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. No, it's it's an interesting one. So for me, the tail the the scale is kind of, yeah. of tipped and but this the cynic in me says that we haven't seen the half of it yet. So we'll see what Liberty Media wanna do next. Yeah. Um and I just hope that those tracks that really speak to the heart of Formula One stay on the yeah. calendar and that we can we can hold on we can hold on to I those. Know. Fingers fingers towards everything crossed. Well, now before we wrap, we're going to do something that I like to call a rapid fire. It's my favorite part of the sure. show where I'm going to ask okay. you three questions and you just have to tell me the first thing that comes to your mind. Okay. All right. You... <laughs> I'm not good at this. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a deep, long thinker. I'm not very everyone good at this. Everyone says so. this and everyone we'll does really well. So you're going to be fine. <laughs> Um, in fact, I All had right. to do this on some other podcast a, a few months ago and I was like, oh my God, now I know how it feels. Um, but you'll be fine. <laughs> um, okay. okay, question number one. What is your personal favorite motorsport series and why? Having said all of I just did, it's definitely Formula One still. It is. And the reason why is that it still feels like you are watching the pinnacle of of a sporting series I do believe that these are some of if not the best drivers Mm -hmm. these are people who are if not working for Formula One probably working for NASA um, incredible strategists um, incredible mechanics engineers operational um, professionals I I really do think that this is the pinnacle of motorsport which makes me very frustrated when a manhole cover disrupts (laughs) free practice because you're watching the pinnacle of a sport and Anyway, uh, so it is Formula One and, I, and, and that, that's why. Totally fair. Um, question number two, who would be your dream guest on Lakeside Drive? So I usually would say, I like to look to the future mm-hmm. with stuff usually. So I will, but, but I think that the best interview subjects are people who are retired mm. <laughs> because they're a bit more... Uh, liberal perhaps with the stories that they might share a bit more candid they're not so worried about their contracts anymore so I I would say I want to take someone like a Fred Vasseur because he's already a pretty candid person and when he's not trying to do the right thing in front of the camera I think he will be incredible he's hilarious already and so Fred Vasseur when you retire Lakeside Drive wants to chat to you. <laughs> I think that's a great choice. I would love to see that episode. Absolutely. Oh my God, that would be fantastic. Um, and then my final question is, what is the one thing you wish people knew about Extreme E? Ooh, the one thing I wish people knew about Extreme E, to be honest, for most people, I wish they knew that it exists. <laughs> like, it's <laughs> our, I think that the... The racing, the surrounding content is actually of a really high quality and I'm mm-hmm. going to throw our podcast in there as well and I just think the whole sport is deserving of a much bigger audience. Um, so for most people out there, I wish they they knew it exists. Um, but for people who are already watching it, um, ooh, Maybe the fact that everyone who is there has to like do their own dishes and everything else. So the way the camp is set up. Yeah. So the way they like, I don't know if this is always the case, but the way that like base camp and everything else is set up, 
everything lives to its name of sustainability. So they have like mess hall style dining and then everyone goes with their tubs and they wash up their own thing because there's no, you know, there's no big dishwashers that are there out in the middle Mm. of Scotland in these, you know, old mining um, you know, pits yeah. or wherever. So um, right down to, uh, you know, washing your own cutlery and lo- in lots of situations during the day, it's um, it's not what I think a lot of people would expect. There's not some, you know, red curtain that you then go behind and you looked after really beautifully. They're washing your own dishes. Yeah. It's dusty. It's dirty. It's not something for the, for the faint-hearted. But mostly I just wish that more people watched. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's so cool. I just love how Extremely is so true to its values. I have to, I have to go to a race. Like, I just have to do this. What, which location um, would you, that we've raced so far at? Um, I really wanted to go to the one either in Chile or Sardinia. Okay, interesting. But I, I'll go anywhere. <laughs> I'll go anywhere. I am not a picky person when it comes to attending races. Yeah. I used to always say that I would never go to the Miami Formula One race. My first race was the Miami. <laughs> so I'm really not a picky person. I'm like I, I say things, but when it really comes to going to a race, like I'll, I'll go. I think that's just the heart of a true motorsport fan, to be honest. Like we've yeah. all got our, we're all armchair experts, and we've all got our yeah. thoughts and feelings. But at the heart of it, if somebody says, "Hey, come to this race," I'm going to be there. It doesn't matter if it's <laughs> yeah. for a series that I've know nothing about, and I'll just chew someone's ear off asking questions for ages, or if it's something that I've been desperate to go through to for mm-hmm. a long time. Um, I think that your feeling of, you know, attending. <laughs> any and all races available to you is just the sign of somebody who loves the sport. Yeah, that's true. All right. Well, thank you so much, Freya, for joining me. It was so fun catching up with you. I mean, I feel like you and I always have a great time, but (laughs) this was really fun. I really enjoyed having you on the show. Oh, you're very welcome. And thank you so much for having me. It was was great chat. I I love joining people on on their podcasts and kind of being on the other side of the the table, so to speak. And uh, Yeah. yeah, we'll catch up again in New York soon, hopefully. Absolutely.